Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. If you love cats, you will not only love this show, hopefully you'll learn a little bit too. Sarah Brown received her PhD on social behavior of neutered domestic cats while working at the Anthrozoology Institute at the University of Southampton in the UK. So that sounds fancy. You know she's got to be fancy. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Hello, Steve. You are the author. You are the author of the Hidden Language of Cats: How They Leave Us at Meow, which is, in fact, literally the case. But I want to start at square one. How did our domestic cats become our domestic cats? Or is that question a bad one because they're not domestic in the first place? So I'll let you talk about that. Well, yes, that's quite a lot of questions. I know. Um, I'll, start, I'll, <laughs> I'll start with the first one, which is how we, which I think was your question, which is how we became acquainted with them in the first place, which was around, is that right? Is that what you're asking me? Yep. I think it is. Um, around about 10,000 years ago, that happened, thought to have happened, um, when human communities sort of changed from hunter-gathering to growing crops. And so settlements developed. This is in an area called the Fertile Crescent, which is sort of northern Africa, western Asia. And in these new farming communities, they began to store their grain. And uh, this grain began to attract rodents. And then these rodents, in turn, attracted the attentions of um, wildcats that lived in the area. These are called North African wildcats. And they were solitary animals that lived in the area, but they would start to hang around these new settlements, hoping to um, pick up some of the mice and rats around the grain stores. And it's thought that the farmers, realising that these wildcats were actually quite useful as pest controllers, would have put up with them, tolerated them. And the wildcats would gradually get used to being around each other and around people. And but at some point, the braver ones must have ventured into the farmers' homes and become more like pets and then had kittens which would have become even more like pets and so it's sort of that gradually they crept over our doorsteps and kind of self-domesticated themselves yeah i was just going to say some people say they're not really domesticated (laughs) all right so it's like everything else cats do they made the decision that was beneficial (laughs) for them and if they are domesticated in the first place which i believe they are but if they are domesticated in the first place they domesticated themselves. However, you just brought this up. You write about it in the book, The Hidden Language of Cats. The big question is, are they domestic in the first place? Well, they have certain qualities that, that fit the criteria of being a domestic animal, which is that they they have a, um, a tendency to become friendly towards people. And, um, you know, obviously non-domestic animals don't, do that but it is only a tendency so they you know they still have to be taught at a very early age that people are are good things they have to be handled as kittens and that's something i talk about quite a lot in the book um but yeah they have they have a tendency to live near people and the ability to live near people the ability to live near other cats which is a big deal for for you know what would have been a wild cat that didn't live near other cats um and so certain qualities they have that are that are domestic but then there are other things like breeding. And although we do breed cats, the vast majority of cats breed, you know, by themselves, wherever they want, whenever they want, and very much not under our control. So that is the, uh, 
criteria that they don't really feel for being domesticated. You know, we, we control the breeding of our domestic farm animals, for example. But well, I could argue that with dogs. Uh, if they're not spayed or neutered, uh, like cats, if they're just outdoors, and there are places in the world where dogs are predominantly outdoors, uh, sometimes they have a name. Sometimes they have a name, and they're considered pets. But they're outdoors; they're not necessarily even fed by the people that live in that community. Uh, those That's right, dogs, yeah, and those dogs just breed randomly, just like cats do. But no one says that dogs aren't domestic. You're right, and I think I think perhaps people refer also when they say they're not domestic to just the way that cats do tend to live a slightly more independent life, and not as you know, not as doting on us as 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 our dogs are. They seem to be not quite so far down the domestication route. Let's put it like that, as dogs are, but they have developed an amazing ability to communicate, even though we don't always notice. And I want to I want to talk about that. But interestingly enough, at one point in time, cats were absolutely revered as gods, quite literally yeah. in parts of the world. Then, not too much far down the road, cats were blamed for everything bad that seemed to be happening, including and they were <laughs> called and they were called witches or uh, they worked with witches, as I forget what the term, familiars, I believe. Familiars. Yeah. yeah uh, right. but, well, and and th- 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 on one hand, and they were literally skinned to death. They were hung because they were uh, responsible, presumably, for everything bad that was happening. And uh, in part, the result of that, that happened around the Great Plague. Cats were blamed for the plague. Well, killing cats only increased the rat population at the time, and it was rats that carried the fleas that caused the plague. So can you comment on how, on one hand, they were revered as gods, and on the other, I blame you for everything bad on the planet? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this pretty much summarizes the, the roller coaster journey that cats have had with humankind right right from the outset. Um they are either loved or hated, and you know they seem to go from one to the other quite easily. But yet they amazingly have survived and spread throughout the world, and they can live in pretty much any environment. That you know they can live in social groups, they can live solitary lives, they can live feral lives, they can live curled up in your armchair. And this adaptability, I think, has made them survive these terrible, you know fluctuations in our attitude to them because you know it must be must have been you know amazing i think that any of these middle age middle ages cats that were being persecuted along with the witches ever survived how did they survive they must have just hidden away and then you know come out again when it was okay um so yeah i think they just they've just become amazingly adaptable and that's the secret of their success all right and well, they learned to communicate with us well, which, uh, again, I want to talk about that communication when we come back here. But first, I do have a question for you. Uh, and that question pertains to why we seem to understand dogs compared to cats very, very well. And cats are still a mystery to so many, even scientists like you. Why is that? Well, I think it's all down to the fact that cats came from a solitary wildcat ancestor 
So these ancestors, all they had to communicate was scent. They didn't need anything else. They didn't meet each other very often except to breed and raise their kittens and then they're on their own again. So, yeah, they just use scent, which works really well long distance. You know, you leave a mark, someone picks it up later. Um, and then, but dogs, on the other hand, um, descended from wolves, which were a very social species already. They had a full set of wonderful social signals that, that dogs inherited. And so all dogs had to do was learn how to use these signals with us. Whereas cats had to think, hmm, how do I communicate with other cats that seem to be now around me all the time? And all these people that I hopefully might get some food from. And so they developed, they had to develop a whole new set of signals, um, to, to do, to achieve that, to visible ones, that, visible ones and audible ones that we would understand. And, and because they're sort of, that's taken a while, we're, we're only just beginning to realize that all these signals are actually there and evident, unlike the dogs ones, which are far more obvious. All right. Sarah Brown is the author of The Hidden Language of Cats. We'll talk about cat language. We'll talk about what those signals are. And my big question is, do we understand cats better than they understand us? Or do they understand us better than we understand them? We will find out when we come back on WGN. Sarah Brown is the author of The Hidden Language of Cats. She received her Ph.D. on social behavior of neuter domestic cats, while working at the Anthrozoology Institute of the University of Southampton in the UK. What is anthrozoology? It's the study of relationships between um, people and animals. So it's that simple. It's not like you need to work at a zoo to understand no. anthrozoology, which is kind of a... Gr- I ask in part because it is a growing field, uh, not only in the UK, but in America as well. Yes, definitely. And and uh, I um, that was like the very first place, I think, that started to study it. And then it has spread. People now are fascinated by this relationship we have with, with well, pet and other animals, but, you know, dogs and cats and all of all our well, favorite animals. Well, being on the board of the Human Animal Bond Association, I understand, and that relationship is incredibly important. But to understand that relationship with cats, you have to understand how they perceive the world, I believe. And it begins with their nose. Everything is about sense of smell. So if you walk into a room, it would be mighty rude for me to come up and sniff you. And I recognize you first by what you look like. Interestingly enough, when I walk into a room, even my cat, my cat, who knows me, knows what I look like, and I try to apologize for that every day, but knows what I look like. That cat still, well, the cat knows it's me, has to come up to me and give a sniff to confirm somehow that it is me. Can you talk about not only cat's sense of smell, but how they also use pheromones? Yes, so so they come and check you out, partly to check it's you, but also to check out what other new smells you've brought in. You know, where have you been? You know, what who have you who have you been <laughs> mixing with, and what other animals, and especially what other cats might you have mixed with? So they so sniffing is hugely important for cats. You know, it's very important to let a cat sniff you, hopefully your hand when you know as, as you come into a room, let them have a really good sniff. Um, and then pheromones are, are more to do with when they when they're leaving scent themselves 
Um, they, they like to rub on things, which if you notice when your cat rubs an object or the side of a door or you know skirting board, they might leave a little smudge over time as they keep rubbing the same thing. And that's that's a deposit of scent from one of their scent glands around their face. And these are really important social smells for cats, as are the scents they leave when they scratch, which most people don't realise that when a cat scratches on a scratching post, hopefully, um, they're not just doing it for nail health, you know, to, to keep their claws healthy. They actually leave a deposit of scent from the glands between their toes. So it's another another form of leaving their own scent around. Now, I want to talk about that because cats and dogs have uh, two ways in which they smell the world, for lack of a better way of saying it. And that's not quite right because they use their nose, which is their sense of smell, their olfactory organs, far more, far more uh, efficient than our own. We can't even imagine how cats perceive the world with their sense of smell. But that's only one way, and that works one route. And you explain it really well, by the way. I thank you for that in the hidden language of cats, because by using pheromones and the vermeral nasal organ, or Jacobson's organ, that's a completely different route in which they perceive not, it's not quite their sense of smell, and it goes to an altogether different place in the brain. Can you explain that? Yes. Um, I mean, it can be quite a long explanation, but I'll try and keep it short. But yes, this, the um, I can never say it, vomeronasal organ, the VNO, is a is this special organ they have in the roof of their mouth, which is basically like another scent-smelling system. And um, this this is more receptive to um, scents that are, that are social in nature. So they, when a cat comes across a scent that, that is like a pheromone, like another cat has left a mark, they will open their mouth and do this flaming, sort of gaping behaviour that looks makes them look a bit sort of dreamy and distant. And then they they often use their tongue to sort of waft the smell up through this the entrance to this organ in the roof of their mouth. And this then connects directly to a different part of the brain, to the normal smelling system. Um, and presumably um, activates a different response. So somehow or other they know that this, that this scent is a social scent and this activates the, the vomero nasal organ. Sorry, I haven't explained that very well at all. <laughs> no, no, I think, I think you did. And for example, let's say, let's say I did this and offended my cat in this way. I dared to go to an animal shelter and visit where all the cats are. And then I come home, and and the cat smells, as you said, my cat will smell, or cats will smell to identify that it's me, and also where I've been. But to get more information, cats are able to do that by slightly opening their mouth, taking in these pheromones, presumably, that have been left on my pants or my shoes or whatever, and get tons of information that i'm not even sure we understand exactly yes and then, and then it connects to a different part of the brain which i think is amazing it doesn't the, the normal smells connect to the olfactory bulb and smells from this organ connect to what they call the accessory olfactory bulb and so yeah they're, they're getting a whole whole second set of information which i just think is 
amazing. So cats really communicate greatly with other cats and with us, even though we have no idea because we yes. cannot sense cats' pheromones. But as you described, I mean, they're depositing pheromones when they rub against our leg uh, or yeah. when they kind of scratch on us a little. They're, they're depositing pheromones. Or if they're upset at the world for some reason, there's a territorial issue because, say, cats are walking through your neighborhood and your cat indoors sees it and sprays the wall. Pheromones come yes. out with all that, right? And that so yes. they ex- do they expect us to understand what the heck they're saying? I don't think so. And I think they've worked out that we don't actually understand it, which is why they've developed all these other amazing behaviors like meowing and um, you know, using tail positions which we which we hopefully recognize some of, but meowing in particular, they seem to have harnessed the fact that we vocalize. That's what people do. We use speak you know we speak to each other we speak to them and so somehow they've worked out that it's best to use the same mode of communication back all right hence the development of the meow uh, which i want to talk about and i want to talk about how we communicate with cats and maybe in some cases how we misunderstand what they're telling us and we'll do that when we come back on wgn I have the most exciting news for you ever. It's back! The PetCast! Years and years, and years and years ago, when podcasts were first developed, it was Milt Rosenberg, the late Milt Rosenberg, and myself, who said, okay, I'm going to do this at WGN Radio. Yeah, I've been working at the radio station that long. So I had a podcast, which I called a PetCast. And it lasted three, four, five, six years, and it kind of fizzled away, and that was fine, but we've brought it back! So, if you go to WGNRadio.com, which I know you do every day, and look at the top, it says podcast, and under the podcast, you kind of highlight over that, and you see all the myriad of WGN Radio podcasts included is the PetCast. And I will tell you, I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to talk to the very best people you can hear it at WGNRadio.com. Sarah Brown is the author of and reveals for the first time ever the hidden language of cats. How they have us at meow, which is the perfect, now let me say that again, the perfect lead-in for what we're talking about. Because when cats communicate with one another, I don't believe, Sarah, and you write about this in the book, so I cheated. They generally meow so much. When they communicate with us, this is a communication the cats didn't have as we go back in time when the wild cats were first around, but they've developed it over the literally centuries to communicate with us. And one way they do it that's special, very special, we ought to feel special, is the meow. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yeah, so I, I studied, for my studies were based on feral groups of cats living in rural England and one of the things I found over the years I studied them was that they very rarely meow to each other which was was a surprise to me because at that stage I thought oh just cats meow and that's what they do but they never never did well they might have done occasionally but very rarely but obviously everybody that knows cats knows that they do meow often and quite you know persistently to people um and uh, it seems that they've developed this meow from the little tiny mews that kittens use with their mums when they're growing up. And then 
continue to use them when they go into new homes and develop these meows with their new owners, their new families. And research has, you know, has been quite a bit of research on meows and um, it, they've found that the meows of a domestic cat have actually evolved to a higher pitch than those of the ancestral species, the African wildcat. They sound, the domestic cat that is, sound much sweeter and pleasing to our ear than, than you know, than this lower pitch of the ancestor. And also, amazingly, this pitch, this high-pitched meow that cats do, is very similar to the pitch of a human baby's cry, which, as we all know, is very hard to ignore. So somehow they seem to have worked out that the sound of a meow pitched at just the right level is the way to get our attention, which I think is spectacular. Which cats are very good at doing. I mean, if a cat yes. wants your attention... Uh, that cat will get your attention one way or the other. And if something doesn't work, then they'll try something else until they find some way uh, to get your attention, to get oftentimes what they want. Are there different levels of communication where cats communicate? Do they actually have a, I guess this is what I'm asking, do they have a language of sorts uh, with us? even if we don't always pay attention? Well, yeah, this is very interesting because the thing with meows is that they are extremely variable, not only between cats, and but they're also variable between, you know, one cat's meow from one minute to the next. And so for that reason, people do, when tested, struggle to tell apart, you know, different meows. What You know, if you, if you present meows taken in, made in different contexts, people struggle to find that context without any other cues so if they're just listening to meow they can't always work out you know is that a a happy meow or a sad meow but what people presumably really do in in real life is that they they look for other cues from their cats at the same time so the cat will meow get your attention and then almost show you what it wants you know rub around the food cupboard or come and sit by the back door if it goes out or or whatever it is that they that they seem to want at that moment they they try and tell you in, in more ways than just meowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not only the meow, it's the context as you talk about, but it's also the body language. Uh, we seem to read dogs, I'd argue not great, but reasonably well most of the time. Uh, maybe we're hardwired because we evolved with dogs. And if you look at their face, they have more facial muscles than cats have. Uh, So we're able to tell more about how they're thinking. We're not as good at reading cats, are we? No, we're not. They've got much more poker faces, if you like, um, than dogs. You know, they can't raise their eyebrows (laughs) and look, you know, cute and quizzical at us. Um, But, but you know, research has shown that they actually do have a really wide range of facial movements. They're Mm -hmm. just not really very obvious. So, for example, there's seven different positions that have been sort of logged for their ears. You know, their ears rotate independently and move 180 degrees, and uh, they, you know, they register a whole range of emotions that, that quite often just pass us by. I think, as as do their tail movements. We don't always notice it, which is why I hope that reading about it might help people notice. You know, make people notice more, stand back and look at their cat a bit more closely, and think, oh, what does that mean? Well, not only can you read about those tail movements and the hidden language of cats, you 
have graphics that show what those tail movements are, so you could actually see them. Are you referring to the grimace scale when you talk about uh, facial structure of cats and what cats are trying to tell us? And you could tell sometimes by looking what your cat is feeling, including whether your cat is in pain or not. And cats are magicians, I think. They're, they're great at hiding pain. Yes, that's a more specific use of, of what they call the um, facial action coding system, which they've now extended to many animals, many species, but, but cats included. So it's called cat facts. And, you know, this has done an extensive analysis of cats' facial movements from video, you know, from very close analysis of videos to see, you know, how they move their whiskers in great detail, as you say, and all their facial muscles, including their ears. Um, and it's given, you know, a whole new, you know, outlook to to what cats are registering, that, you know, what they are communicating in their faces. And, you know, hopefully, I hope over time that that, that we can find an easy way of just observing that, you know, with the naked eye, because some of these movements are so subtle, it's hard to to notice on your on your everyday, you know, cat in the home. Yeah, what I tell people to do is take their phone and videotape sometimes, but put it in slow motion. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but moreover, put it in slow motion. And yes, you're yes. able to notice things uh, that you never would have because cats are so incredibly subtle. Sometimes yeah. they don't want us to know. So with meows, they're saying, please pay attention to me and do that or do that or do that. Get my food or get my toys. But uh, oftentimes they don't don't want us to know. And this is one way you can know. Or you could read the translation of what cats are telling us in the hidden language of cats, how they have us at Meow. Dr. Sarah Brown is here and we'll be right back as I want to talk about misunderstandings we sometimes have and how sometimes we think the cat is telling us one thing, but in fact, the cat is saying something completely different That's next. Dr. Sarah Brown is the author of The Hidden Language of Cats, How They Have Us at Meow. And sometimes we misunderstand what they're trying to tell us. But I want to back up and ask about you, Dr. Brown. This is going to be all about you. Why did you choose to study cats and not dogs or maybe not raccoons or or maybe not squirrels or maybe not monkeys? Um, well, I sort of um, fell into it, really, if, if I'm honest. I, I mean, right from small child, I loved animals of all sorts, as do many people. And I went to university to study zoology. And uh, while studying, I decided that um, animal behavior was my the thing I loved the most. And that, yeah, this was what I wanted to do if I could work with animals and learn about their behavior. So when I left university, I was very lucky to get this job in the Anthrozoology Institute um, where we studied cats and dogs actually and the relationships with people but uh, as a sideline to that I was allowed to do a doctorate and and I thought you know what I think I'm quite interested in cats because there's not so much done on cats you know behavioral wise so that's how it all started and then I found two groups of feral cats one which we set up ourselves for you know trap neuter release and another one in a hospital and studied these you know groups of ferals for a few years and that's how it all began really but it was um it was definitely a great choice so you're coming home 
from the office after you've been gone all day. And you walk in the door, and your cat, maybe at the door, maybe down a hallway, maybe sleeping somewhere, but sees you and comes running the opposite way, something dogs rarely would ever do, and then begins to scratch at the sofa. And we say, you're a bad cat. This is one of the misunderstandings I'm talking about because the cat is just expressing excitement, actually, to see you. Uh, So you guys, happily, in my opinion, which in this case I do respect, do not declaw, by and large, in the UK. We're doing less and less of that in the US, incidentally, but it still occurs here. Uh, But no matter if the cat isn't, the cat scratches at the furniture, and this could cause someone to say, I want to declaw the cat, or at the very least, say, you're a bad cat. In fact, as I said, the cat is just expressing excitement. Is that one of the misunderstandings that people sometimes have? Yes, I, I think so, very much so. And and um, as I said before, the um, the scratching is so important to a cat. It's, it's their natural behavior. And I think a lot of the misunderstandings we have with cats is that we don't realize that the behaviors that they perform in our, in our homes are, are very natural behaviors that they have to express. So scratching is one of those they, they need to maintain their nails and they need to leave marks they need to leave scent marks from the from the glands between their toes and they like to leave a visible signal which is what scratching does as we well know mm-hmm. um, that's another way of signaling you know, for other for other cats to see and so all they need is the right outlet and so looking at your cat and thinking why are they doing it rather than they're just doing that to spite me is is a is a really good thing to do and provide them with new things to scratch, make the new things more more attractive than the thing they're scratching now and try all different types. They'll they'll all scratch something that you provide if, eventually if you try hard enough. So cats outdoors are typically living in groups, though not always. Uh, and they're what's called facultatively social. So they different than uh, wolves. Uh, They don't hunt together, or different than lions, there's a cat example, they don't hunt together, they don't share meals together. Indoors, here's what I want to ask you about, and in the U.S., mostly they are indoors only, so they don't get the opportunity, which I'm all for personally, because I don't want to see cats get getting hit by cars or chased down by coyotes, so or whatever, but indoors only, uh, they can only go to as big as your house is, right? And that's it. And then you introduce another cat. So in America, I think the number now is 2.1 cats. I don't know about that point one who that cat is, but it's over two cats, just over two cats per household on average. So if you have a cat, you might probably have two or even three cats, but no one's asking the existing cat Well, do you accept that cat or that cat or that cat? There's no dating service for cats. So which cat do you want to live with? We're not asking them that. We're bringing in whatever cat it is. That's not a natural situation for cats, is it? No, not really. (laughs) Well, not at all, in fact, because even cats that live outside in feral colonies can pick and choose who they interact with. They, They can avoid cats they don't like. They might have to live still in that same area to you take advantage of whatever food source they're they're using but but when you bring a cat another cat into a cat's territory or a cat's home 
yet they don't have any choice. They have to either get along or not. And um, cats are actually innately solitary. They come from a solitary ancestor. So they're programmed to live alone originally. But that said, domestication has equipped them with the ability to live alongside other cats when, when need be. But some cats are better at this than others. So um, it's always best to think carefully about the cat you already have before introducing another. And if you do, this introduction should happen very, very carefully, very slowly. As you know, there's, you have to introduce their sense, first of all, keep them completely separate. And only very, very gradually, you know, let them become acquainted because, you know, they... they probably wouldn't have chosen that cat and you know that you have chosen to live with yeah we can't consult them and say well, which one would you want another misunderstanding is that most people that have cats feed the cat out of one food bowl uh, but to my knowledge cats outdoors don't share their meals we're doing it wrong then, aren't we? No, and I'm to say the number one most important thing, once you've got two cats living or more cats living in a household, is to have enough resources to have feed them separately, you know, separate bowls, separate locations if you can, you know, have, make sure they've got enough beds, enough scratching posts, enough litter boxes. Everything has to be multiple everything so that they can choose where, where they go rather than having to be in the same space as a cat that perhaps you know makes them feel a bit uncomfortable or that they don't particularly get on with and yeah no cats outdoors you know they don't they don't hunt together obviously a, a mother cat will bring um, food back for it for her kittens but they don't you know they mostly just do their own thing so how important for this intelligent species is it that we, if we keep them indoors only, uh, and you and I, I don't know, we've not talked about this, may disagree about this because our cultures are different for cats. I am fully supportive of cats being indoors only. But then I also say it is not a good idea. It is necessary to enrich their environments. Yes, 100%. That as much as you can do, if you, and, and obviously people have very different opinions about indoor-outdoor, and that debate will go on forever, I imagine. But if you do have a cat's indoors, uh, the most important thing is to provide as much as you can for them to do to replace that, you know, stimulation that they would have had as, a, as an outdoor, you know, cat originally, you know, a wild cat, let's say that. They they need to replace. You need to replace all the things that would be outside. So something to chase, some toys, something to scratch, places to sleep, places to hide. And increasing the vertical space is, is a great idea because you know even if you've got a small area, you know for your cat to live in, you can greatly extend that by shelving or or um, cat trees. You know just raising the the level and. Um, as I said, enough. If you've got more than one cat, to to have enough of these things that they can have their own space and do their own thing, and possibly timeshare if they want to use the same things, but not you know that they can both go and do what they want whenever they want. But enrichment is is so. And puzzle feeders are great. You know, to try and not just feed your cat. You know, constant supply of dry food. Use some puzzle feeders. Make make your own if it's you know if they're very expensive. 
you can do so many things. Cardboard boxes, as we know, are the number one favorite toy of most cats. Yes, absolutely true. And there's so much more in the book, The Hidden Language of Cats, How They Have Us at Meow, Dr. Sarah Brown, a revealing conversation. The cats are going to be very angry at you for revealing their hidden language. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. This was at 54.6 decibels. How loud is that? That is louder than most vacuums. It is louder than, no, it's not, than the laughs John Williams gets for his speed jokes. No, those are louder. But that's pretty loud, 54.6 decibels. Well, why am I asking you about that? Well, it's, it's, that's, that's the volume of a cat purring in Cambridgeshire, England, 14-year-old cat named Bella, who broke the record, the Guinness Book of Records, loudest cat purr. Uh, her owner, Nicole Spink, says when Bella purrs, which is all the time, she has to actually turn up the volume on the TV. That must be one happy cat. Speaking of happy cats, I've got a kitten. Well, not a kitten anymore. Groucho is about a year and a half old. But for those of you on TikTok, how many of you are on TikTok? Well, for those of you on TikTok, check it out. Groucho underscore the funny cat. What I try to do is provide both entertainment and information at the same time. Here's some information. You emailed me, Steve, at stevedale.tv and asked about the expression, the cat got my tongue. Where does that come from? Listener Larry wanted to know. Well, Larry, here's the answer. According to what I found, it goes back to the Middle Ages. If you happen to bump into a witch on the street and that witch typically had a cat, she would say, my cat, no, 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 she wouldn't say that. She would say, oh, dearie, my cat is going to steal your tongue. That's how witches talk, right? I don't know whether it worked or, let's see. Yep. One, two, three, testing. Yeah, I'm good. I'm okay. Uh, We'll talk to you next week, bright and early on WGN.